it has to be clear to us at this moment in history that no one has the right to their religious sectarianism. So what he's saying is no one has the right to their religion. Jordan Peterson versus Sam Harris, the Vancouver debate, night two. Mr. Reagan. The night two debate was definitely better than the night one debate. In the first night, Peterson and Harris were able to pretty precisely detail each of their positions. So now, they're ready for battle. But again, Peterson isn't trying to win. He's trying to seek truth. Harris, on the other hand, doesn't really cooperate. There are two ways that I tend to see debates won. In the first case, the side with the best argument wins. That's how a debate really should go. Another way to win is to appear to be the more intelligent debater. The audience will say, well, the one guy had a good argument, but the other guy is clearly more intelligent, so you know he's probably right. People walk away with an idea of one side being victorious and the other one vanquished, but they do not walk away better informed. I had great hopes that Sam Harris might propose brilliant, interesting, valuable ideas, that he might listen to brilliant, interesting, valuable ideas, that he might, with Jordan Peterson, dissect each idea and discover the truths within them. But sadly, he's still trying to chalk up points on a scoreboard. Even so, this was a debate worth watching. So many interesting avenues were explored that it, it inspired a vast array of new thoughts in my own mind. It clarified a lot of my own thoughts and inspired me to question some others. In the end, it probably made me a stronger Christian. What we're going to do is we're going to have Sam and Jordan steelman each other's points from last night so that you can hear what that sounds like. Now, uh, Sam, would you be willing to start? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, thank you. So, so here is what I think Jordan thinks I'm getting wrong. Uh, I think that was grammatically correct. Maybe there's another uh, note in there. But clearly, I don't understand how valuable stories are, how deep they go, how, the, the, the degree to which stories encode not only the wisdom of our ancestors, but quite possibly the wisdom born of the hard knocks of evolution of, of the species. Right? So there's no telling how deep the significance of the information encoded in stories goes. And there's a class of stories that are religious stories, and they're religious for a reason, because they're dealing with the, the deepest questions in human life. They're questions about what constitutes a good life, what's worth living for, what's worth dying for. Uh, these are things that if each individual just thrust from onto the stage of his own life, uh, not knowing where he is, and tasked with figuring out how to live all on his own, or even in a, in a collection of, of uh, others who are similarly unguided by ancient wisdom, uh, th this is not knowledge we can, uh, we can re recapitulate for ourselves easily. And so we, we edit or ignore the, these ancient stories at our peril, at, some, at minimum at some considerable risk, because we don't know how much, we don't really know what baby is in the bathwater. And uh, so we should have immense respect for these traditions. And... This is, well, this is yet to be discovered tonight. I'm still not quite clear about how this links up with, with pro more metaphysical propositions about the origins of, these, of, of certain of these stories. But at minimum, my criticism of religion, because it tends to focus on the, the most obvious case of, of a zero-sum contest between religious dogmatism and you know, scientific open-ended discussion, uh, is, doesn't address this core issue of the significance of, of religious thinking and religious narrative because I am for the most part just shooting fish in, in a barrel criticizing fundamentalists uh, and the kind of God that the fundamentalists believe in, the God who's an invisible person who hates homosexuals obviously that's not the, 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 deep, the deepest version of these religious, this, this, this essentially what is a narrative technology for orienting human life in the cosmos so I, maybe I'll leave it there but that's I think what Jordan thinks well, I'm convinced, man. <laughs> First of all, I think it was uh, accurate, concise, fair, and so I thought that was just fine, exactly dead on, and I hope I can do justice to your position as well. So, <clears throat> Sam believes that there are two fundamental dangers to psychological and social stability. Um, religious fundamentalism, essentially on the right, and moral relativism 
and nihilism on the left. And so the danger of the right-wing position is that it enables people to arbitrarily establish certain revealed axioms as indisputable truth and then to tyrannize themselves and other people with the claims that those are divine revelations. And he sees that as part of the danger of religious fundamentalism and maybe religious thinking in general, but also as something that characterizes secular totalitarian states that also has a religious aspect. So that's on the right. And then on the left, well, the problem with the, with the moral relativism nihilism position is that it leaves us with no orientation. And it also flies in the face of common sense observations that there are ways to live that are bad and that there are ways to live that are good that people can generally agree on and that statements about those general agreements about how to live can be considered factual. And, and then the next part of Sam's argument is that we require a value system that allows us to escape these twin dangers. One stultifies us and the other leaves us hopeless, let's say. And that value system has to be grounded in something real. And the only thing that he can see that actually constitutes real in any provable sense, and there's a certain amount of historical and conceptual weight behind this claim, is the domain of empirical facts, as, as they've been manifested in the sciences and technologies that have made us incredibly powerful and increasingly able to flourish in the world. And so we need to ground our value propositions in something that we've been able to determine has genuine solidity to, so, that we can, so that we can orient ourselves properly, so that we can make moral claims and that we can avoid these twin dangers. We can begin with some basic facts that we can identify, as I mentioned brief briefly, what constitutes a bad life, endless pain, suffering, anxiety, tremendous amount of negative emotion, short-term lifespan, all the things that no one would choose voluntarily for themselves if, if we would all agree that they were thinking in a, in a healthy manner. And we can contrast that sort of domain of horror with the good life, which might involve, well, certainly freedom from privation and want and undue threat and anxiety and hope for the future and all of that. And then we can agree that those are poles, good, bad, and good, and that that's a factual claim. Sam also claims that we can define the good life, this is an extension of it, with re reference to flourishing and well-being, and that, that that can actually be measured, and that we should and can inform the idea of flourishing and well-being with empirical data. Having said all that, he also leaves uh, what would a domain of inquiry open that would be centered on the possibility that some of the ideas that have been encapsulated in religious phenomenology, if not in religious dogma, might be worth pursuing as well, that there might be wisdom that could practically be applied in terms of perception to, to spiritual practices, although those become danger, dangerous, increasingly dangerous as they become ensconced in dogma. And so that's Sam's position. And then his criticism of my ideas, um, he, he would say that it's facts, not stories, that constitute the ground for the proper science of well-being. Uh, and that we don't need to be connected to stories, ancient stories in particular, to thrive. And the reason for that are that these ancient stories are pathological in certain details, especially in the specific claims they make, uh, which, which look outrageous in some sense from a modern moral perspective. Um, and he believes that it's hand-waving to ignore those specific topics with, with, a, you know, with a, what would you call it, an optimistic overview of the entire context. Uh, that that they're, they're dangerously outdated now, if they ever were useful. Um, that they're subject to too many potential interpretations for any modern usage to be reliably derived. And so he believes that attempts to interpret these stories, let's say, um, are rife with so many potential errors of bias and interpretation and subjectivity that all the interpretations in some sense are unreliable, uh, and perhaps equally unreliable. That, they're da that worse than that, not only are they unreliable, but they're dangerous insofar as the claims they lay out are, pose a threat to scientific and enlightenment values, which are the true saviors of humanity, as evidenced by our progress, let's say, over the last two or three hundred years. And that they're also susceptible to the totalitarian interpretation, which I described earlier, which confer upon the interpreter a sense of and then a claim to revealed truth. And so I would say that's Sam's argument and his, and his criticisms of my position. So, okay, so you, you write my next book. I'll write yours. <laughs> These are both great. I loved hearing both of these Steel Man summaries. I hate the term Steel Man. I don't know who came up with that. But whatever, they did a great job. Uh, a lot of people asked me in the comments in the last reaction video about where they might find the original debate on YouTube. Pangburn has provided access to these videos exclusively to their patrons on Patreon. So I signed up for their Patreon specifically so that I could see these videos. If you'd like to watch the debates, you'll have to go to their Patreon page and, and donate money to them as well. Um, so the idea of metaphorical truth is the idea that there are concepts which are literally false, but that if you behave as if they were true, you come out ahead of where you were if you behave according to the fact that they are false. And so to call these things simply false is an error. And so religions would then fall into this class of things. If you follow them, irrespective of whether they literally describe the universe, you end up with certain advantages that you, you may not know why they are there, but nonetheless, you, you are ahead of your position if you were to navigate just simply on your perceptions. So that's the concept. I actually think metaphorical truth is a terrible name for this. There's truth, and there are appropriate ways to act. 
Saying that certain fictions encourage us to act appropriately doesn't mean that these fictions are true, metaphorically or actually. Using the word truth is misleading. But whatever, they're calling it metaphorical truth, so I'll play along. But I don't like it. You know, if I had a gun here that I wanted to show Brett, if I know anything about guns, I'm going to make damn sure that it's unloaded, right? I'm going to pull back the slide, I'm going to drop the magazine, pull back the slide, check the chamber, and do this in a redundant fashion that, that really looks like I'm suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder. It, it is truly redundant. And when people fail to live this way around guns, they, with some unnerving frequency, actually shoot themselves or people close to them by accident. Uh, so it is really the only proper hedge against the odds of being in proximity to, to uh, loaded weapons. And yet, if someone in the middle of this operation came up to us and said, you know, actually there's a casino that just opened across the street that will take your bets about whether or not guns are loaded. Would you like to bet a million dollars as to whether or not this gun is loaded? Well, of course, I would bet those million dollars every time that it's not loaded because I know it's not loaded. So there's, there's, a, there's a literal truth and a, a metaphorical truth, you know, otherwise known as a, a very useful fiction, which in this case is actually more useful than the truth, right? But the only way I can understand its utility is, and, and even utter the phrase metaphorical truth in a way that's comprehensible, is in the context of distinguishing it from literal truth. I actually agree with Harris here 100%. This is exactly my position, but with an unnecessarily long example. <laughs> Essentially, metaphorical truth can be beneficial, but only for certain uses. In other uses, the application of a metaphorical truth may be of detriment. In other words, metaphorical truth is most useful when we recognize it as metaphorical and not actual. I happen to believe that Christianity is an actual truth, so it doesn't really apply here. But I agree with Harris otherwise. And in the biblical narratives, they would often sacrifice something of value, like a, like a valuable animal. Well, like a child. Start, start well, well <laughs> no, no, no. Peterson is trying to make a serious point, perhaps a point that might lead them both closer to a more profound understanding of the value of religion. It might lead them closer to an understanding of the nature of religion. And then Sam Harris interjects with a point of ridicule, typical petty criticism of Christianity. He references the story of Abraham when God uh, commands that Abraham sacrifice his son Isaac. Every Christian knows the story. It was a test of Abraham's loyalty to God. God, of course, stops the sacrifice. Essentially, the story is about how one must be willing to give up whatever is most precious to them for God. But then the twist is, of course, that the Judeo-Christian God is not so cruel as to require human sacrifices. The point of the story is that God does not require human sacrifices. And now we have to hash out this absurd point of fact about the Bible... Look, surely Sam Harris has discussed this before with Christians. He knows he's being disingenuous here. He knows that he's mischaracterizing this story. He knows that if he gets into a discussion about the specifics, that his point will be proven to be ridiculous. But the quip has the intended effect. The audience laughs. Sam Harris is still treating this debate as a point-scoring contest. He's trying to win a point here, a point there, get a laugh from the crowd here, make Peterson look ridiculous there. He's trying to make himself appear the superior intellect. This is a really cheap shot. Do not steal a powerful moment of profundity from your opponent in order to artificially demean their point. Jordan Peterson does well to reclaim the gravitas of the moment, but it doesn't let Sam Harris off the hook in my estimation. He still has committed a grave mistake in my eyes and lost a great deal of my respect. You may think that I'm taking such a small moment too seriously, but this is a very serious subject, and I personally take it all very seriously. Human, human sacrifice is as old a religious precept as we know about. Yes. It's a cultural universal, but the horror is that it actually has taken place in all these cultures based on yes. explicit beliefs in the presence of just just right. well, Arthur oppressive Kessler's scientific ignorance. It's not just the insanity of humanity, it's the, the misapprehension of the causal structure of the cosmos. You don't well, know what that, controls okay. the weather, well, you don't know why people get sick, you think your neighbor is capable of, of casting magic spells on you, you're ignorant of everything, and you're trying to force some order on things. When you don't, in the absence of engineers, and you don't know why build, certain buildings fall down, you actually can agree with your neighbor that maybe you should bury your firstborn child into every post hole of this new building, which in fact is, it took place, it's the consequence of ignorance. And so that the problem is, if you're only going to talk about this you know, purified strange, notion of sacrifice... It's a very strange consequence of ignorance, Sam. Okay, so now we have to get into this distraction about human sacrifice being an irrational part of religion. So again, Sam Harris is conflating ancient pagan practices with Christianity and Judaism. 
Now, I said this in the previous video, but I'm gonna say it again. If Sam Harris wants to discredit religion, he should be attacking the best religion, not the easiest to criticize, clearly terrible religions. Sam Harris's position is not that some religions are bad. His position is that religion is bad. So if even one religion is good, then religion can be good. So to consistently attack pieces of religions that almost everybody would consider to be barbaric, primitive superstitions of the type the Bible explicitly condemns, it does nothing to discredit religion generally. It merely discredits those specific primitive superstitions. There was a point in the previous debate in which Jordan Peterson says that it's important to distinguish the different religions from each other, and he gestures towards Sam Harris, and he says, I think you do that well, or something like this. And, and perhaps Sam Harris has done that in the past, but he certainly did not do that in the previous debate, and he's again conflating various religions here in this debate. He's not distinguishing religions at all. He seems to be intentionally mixing all religions into one big religion stew from which he can criticize the various elements. Indeed, if you take one delicious stew and several terrible tasting ones and you mix them all together, it'll taste terrible. It'll be easy to criticize the final product. I mean, I get it. It's much easier for Sam Harris to appear to be right if he employs this strategy of criticizing Christianity by criticizing other religions and just calling it all religion. But it's disingenuous. It's misleading. It's deceitful. If Sam Harris genuinely wants to show the world that religion is bad, focus exclusively on Christianity. It's accepted by more people on earth than any other religion. It's considered by most people in this world to be of benefit to humanity, to be good, to be great. It is the most difficult religion to criticize. It's much more difficult to take cheap shots at Christianity than it is paganism, or the religion of an African tribe, or an ancient extinct cannibalistic culture from South America. Have the courage of your convictions, Sam Harris. I'm not trying to argue against the horror of child sacrifice. No, I, I, I would never imagine I, I know, you would. I know, I know. But, but I'm also, yeah, but I'm yes. also trying Although, to... I'm but trying my to, work would be much easier if you I, did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and the work of journalists as yeah, well. Although yeah. they've tried that pretty much anyway. <laughs> That's right. So... Right, that would be... That would even be worse than enforced monogamy, hypothetically. <laughs> yes. This is a pretty funny moment. Uh, Sam Harris makes a pretty funny joke. Jordan Peterson makes a better one. Jordan Peterson takes some time after this to discuss ideas about why human sacrifice might have taken place. His theory is that the practice of human sacrifice coincided with the conscious recognition in human beings of the concept of delayed gratification. Human sacrifice, he argues, may have been an extreme manifestation of the idea that if you give something precious up right now, it might provide something even better in the future. If you give up something of value now, you can gain something of more value in the future. Not eating the Twinkie now might get you a hot girlfriend in three months. You know, this is a fascinating idea. I'm not going to play the whole segment, but if you'd like to listen to Jordan Peterson's take on this, I highly recommend watching the original video. I mean, Christianity is actually a cult of human sacrifice. Christianity is not a religion that repudiates human sacrifice. Christianity is a religion that says, actually, no, human sacrifice is necessary, and there was only one that, in fact, was necessary and effective, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus. And... I think that is not only a morally uninteresting vision of our circumstance and how we are, how we can be redeemed, it's morally abhorrent. All right, so here Sam Harris references Jesus Christ as an example of Christianity condoning the idea of human sacrifice. Give me a break. He knows full well that this is a radical mischaracterization of the death and resurrection of Jesus. If Christ were not considered by Christians to be the Son of God, his death would have been classified as martyrdom. Self-sacrifice is different than human sacrifice. The Romans were not killing Christ to appease a god, and the Christians weren't going along with it because they thought it was a good idea. Christ was persecuted and killed because he was accused of a crime, a capital offense. Christ's disciples watched helplessly, anguished by the tragedy. This certainly cannot be classified as a human sacrifice by any stretch of the imagination. Christianity in no way advocates human sacrifice anywhere in the Bible. So, so you know, what are but, your... But, I mean, I'm not talking... And modern witchcraft currently exists. I mean, you go to Africa, they're, they're, you know, people are hunting albinos for their body parts because they believe in sympathetic magic and, yes. and, and kids get killed as witches. So this belief endures in certain pockets of humanity. I mean, I just think at, at a certain point, you have to acknowledge that some ideas are not only wrong, but their effects are disastrous or have been disastrous or will likely be, even if good in certain circumstances, will likely be disastrous in the future. And then we shouldn't be hostage to these 
these ancient memes. Sam Harris here provides a few examples of witchcraft being practiced in the modern day and leading to tragedies. Somebody dies or, or something like this. He then makes the claim that at some point you have to admit that the effects of some ideas are disastrous, or they've been disastrous, or they are likely to be disastrous in the future. I 100% agree with this. I believe the idea he's referring to is called atheism. Uh, you, so you say, all right, sacrifice of children is abhorrent. Let's say it is. And then you say, well, Christianity hasn't uh, foregone the sacrifice of children. In fact, it's described one child who is sacrificed for everybody else. But arguably, that's an upgrade of some metaphorical truth that frees those who are adhering to this tradition from ever considering sacrificing a child. And what sure. it does is it uh, provides a motivational structure that may in fact have very positive outgrowths, though not literal, the idea that someone would have sacrificed their own child uh, for the benefit of everybody else mm. not to have to. That idea might um, engender a, a, a large amount of good work. Brett Weinstein actually destroys Sam Harris's entire argument in less than a minute here. Sam Harris tries his best to sound composed and intelligent after this intellectual beating. He really wants people to believe that his position is the correct one, despite the fact that Brett Weinstein, who I don't think is necessarily on Jordan Peterson's side, is finding these massive holes in his logic. How often do you think it was necessary for people in the past who had absolutely no access to birth control and who didn't have enough food to sacrifice a child for the survival of their family? I mean, no, God only knows. You yeah, know, and, and that's, well, but that's worth thinking about. It's like lots of archaic people do this sort of thing. They do that with their elderly people. They do that with sick people. They do that with infants that they deem too fragile to survive. Like, so part of child sacrifice, and I know the literature on child sacrifice reasonably well, part of child sacrifice seemed to emerge out of the observable necessity to leave someone behind so that everyone else didn't die. And we don't know how often that had to happen in the past. It might have had to happen a lot. This is an incredibly profound point. I never really thought about this. I think most modern people consider human sacrifice to be an unthinkable act of savagery practiced only by barbaric primitive people who were perhaps worshippers of some demonic type deity who demanded human sacrifices or a society possessed by some other evil madness. Christianity never practiced this. Judaism never practiced this. So modern humans have never really had to examine this behavior to try to understand the apparent savagery of these ancient peoples. We could simply consider ourselves better. But population control in the face of possible starvation of the entire society is a sensible solution. If, for some reason, the food supply today diminished to such a degree that the entire world was in danger of starving to death, the governments of this world would have to organize a strategy to keep the human race going. Without any better alternatives, we would have to decide who would live and who would die. To sacrifice one person per family, or by some other division, to sacrifice 10, 20, or 30% of a population could save everyone else in the community. To imagine that this kind of practice evolved into religious tradition in some cultures is not unreasonable. So perhaps the ancient savages who practiced human sacrifice, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, were not so savage after all. Perhaps they were just employing a necessary self-preservation strategy. But we're constantly discovering a, a lack of fit between both our, what we perceive in ourselves as biological yep. imperatives and the cultural legacies of just what mommy and daddy taught me was true, right? So Sam Harris says here, we're constantly finding a lack of fit between what is biologically true and what mommy and daddy taught us. Again, Sam Harris uses infantilizing language in order to ridicule the idea of religion. Religion is not something to take seriously, but a fairy tale for children that mommy and daddy tells us. What a prick. Sam Harris did this throughout the first night debate. Instead of presenting his ideas neutrally, he is constantly putting a negative spin on these things. He's trying to desanctify Christian ideas. He's trying to debase, vulgarize, infantilize, and ridicule. These are cheap tactics. He's trying to sway the listener, not by the power of his ideas, but by an emotional response. Nobody wants to feel like an idiot. Sam Harris knows that if he uses language to make people feel intellectually inferior, to make them feel that they are being ridiculed by somebody who is intellectually superior to themselves, he knows that people will agree with him. Furthermore, the point he's making isn't even accurate. We're not constantly finding contradictions between what the Bible tells us and biological truth. He's just saying that in order to present the illusion of shortcomings in the Christian religion. He's literally inventing problems with religion that don't actually exist. 
The tactic of ridiculing the believer has a long history in atheist debate. I've seen pretty much every atheist do this in every religion versus atheist debate I've ever seen. It's a tried and true tactic. It seems that all atheists recognize the value of this technique. But the fact that the technique might be effective doesn't mean that it's appropriate. I would think that these empiricists advocating for the stringency and value of scientific thinking would not use such cheap tricks to try to win a debate. And then on top of this, he invents criticisms of Christianity that are completely invalid. So he's using emotional persuasion and he's inventing invalid criticisms. Sam Harris seems desperate. He desperately wants to win. I think Sam Harris realizes that he is fighting in a lower weight class. He's outmatched. He's outgunned. He realizes that he's the underdog, so he's using every weapon at his disposal. He does not expect that the debate viewer will recognize his rhetorical tricks, the cheap tactics, the invented criticisms. But I do recognize them, and I'm going to call you out on it. Frank, well, look, at, look at it this way. Look at it this way. Most new ideas are stupid and dangerous. But, but most but old ideas are, are as well. I mean, that's... But some of them are vital. This is actually the fundamental difference between the left and the right, politically. It's fascinating to me that this fundamental difference between the faithful and the atheist perfectly parallels the difference between the conservative and the leftist. Jordan Peterson says, Most new ideas are stupid and dangerous. Sam Harris interrupts and says, But the old ones are as well. Not true. The reason that old ideas persist is that they are good ideas. Those on the political left in America constantly shout for change. Change, change, change. Those on the political right in America say, no, hold on. Let's look into the past. Let's see what's worked, what, what maybe we should revive. Let's look at what's currently working, what we should conserve. And then after all that, then let's look at those things which maybe we should find new solutions for, that we should change. So while the left is shouting, change, 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 the right is saying, revive, conserve, change. The wholesale idea of change everything, if Jordan Peterson is right about most new ideas being stupid and dangerous, it's a recipe for disaster. The more precise analysis of revive, conserve, change is a far better strategy. One might even say it's the right strategy. Get it? Because it's, it's right wing. <laughs> stupid joke. I get emails from people who can point to this, the paragraph where they lost their faith, right? Where in reading somebody, in reading Richard Dawkins. Or... I can point to a paragraph that gained people their faith. The idea that human beings influence other human beings is not an appropriate argument for the superiority of atheism or Christianity for that matter. The fact that people think for themselves and change their minds about things, even important things, is merely an observable aspect of humanity. The next point that Sam Harris m makes is a meandering one. Basically, he thinks that in 2018, we're so sophisticated... Uh, with science and philosophy and all this high-level intellectualism, um, so that, that now religion has become archaic, useless, replaced by this high-level intellectualism. But I think that throughout most of recorded history, we've had the capacity to debate, and probably even before that. We don't really know what debate was like before Socrates and Plato, but I imagine there was a long, long history of intellectual debate that existed before these intellectual juggernauts. Religious ideas, philosophical ideas, have been written about and debated since the dawn of written history. It's fallacious to assume that 20th century man or 21st century man is the first civilization capable of disposing of religion and merely accepting a combination of empirical facts, philosophical ideas, and secular ethics. If this combination was more right than religion, society would have disregarded religion a long time ago. Now, this combination is powerful, powerful enough to have convinced quite a lot of people to replace religion with it. Sam Harris, for instance. The most attractive idea that emanates from this combination, science, philosophy, and secular ethics, is the inevitable acceptance of relativistic ethics. I mean, that's why the moral landscape for me is a landscape of peaks and valleys. And so it's, it's a kind of moral relativism. The inevitable acceptance of relativistic ethics. If there's no Christianity, if there's no God, then nothing you do really matters. You can essentially do anything you like. So how does this play out? There are several recorded instances of human beings disregarding religion, embracing the idea that there is no God, and engaging in truly horrific acts. Many serial killers have acknowledged an acceptance of atheist relativistic ethics. After that, there are no constraints upon the horrors they might inflict upon others. Jeffrey Dahmer stated, If a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep within acceptable ranges? Jeffrey Dahmer killed, dismembered, and had weird necrophilic 
sex stuff with 17 boys. Yay atheism. Jim Jones, an atheist cult leader, convinced 909 people to commit suicide in 1978. And here's a short list of other atheist serial killers. David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Stephen Paddock, the Vegas shooter. Ted Bundy. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Honestly, I could go on forever, seriously. And this is just the little guys. We're not even talking about military leaders and heads of state like Stalin. There are many ideas that, in theory, sound like they should work. Communism, for instance. There is no evidence that I have ever seen that indicates that a combination of science, philosophy, and secular ethics works better than the religion of Christianity. If Sam Harris could effectively make this case that his ideas are better than Christianity, I think he would win this debate, but I don't actually think that's possible. Furthermore, Jordan Peterson has taken an extraordinarily unusual tack in arguing for the utility of religion. He's showing how religion fits perfectly into the evolutionary model of the growth of human civilization. Showing that religion perfectly suits human society makes it very difficult for Sam Harris. Not only does he have to show that there may be hypothetically a better path, but he has to show that the Christian path isn't working. So far, he has entirely failed to do this. He continuously pushes a single message— Dogma bad, science good. What I don't think Sam Harris realizes is that everyone agrees with this. Nobody thinks that fixed ideas that don't work are good. And everybody gets that exploring new ideas and finding the best solution is good. We get that. What Sam Harris is failing to do is to show, with regard to Christianity versus atheism, that atheism works better. He's failing to show that the ideas of Christianity are bad and that the method of searching for new, better ethical systems has been fruitful. Sam Harris has failed to recognize that the search for a workable secular ethic has existed for hundreds of years. Far from producing a system better than Christianity, it has resulted in the deaths of hundreds of millions of people in the form of communism. I don't think that the average person is willing to sacrifice the lives of hundreds of millions of more people so that we can trial and error our way toward a better system of ethics especially when Christianity has probably preserved and benefited the lives of billions. Facts exist in intersubjective space, right? So if I, if I tell you, well, this glass, this isn't just an ordinary glass. I know it looks just like that one, but this is the glass that uh, Elton John drank from right, in his exactly, last concert exactly. here, yeah, right? Right, right. Uh, so, you know, what do you want to pay me for it, right? Right. It, it could be that, you know, you're just the biggest Elton John fan ever, and you, it's worth quite a lot to you. Now, that is, it's a kind of evident, it's not value intrinsic to the glass. You could have a sentimental attachment to your watch, that's worth exactly $25 because that's what you paid for it, but this is the watch that, you know, this is your first watch or whatever it is and you wouldn't sell it for any amount of money. Right. That's a measure of your, a behavioral measure of how much you value it. And if I told you, oh, well, you know, sorry, I, I borrowed your watch and lost it, what the cascade of negative affect that I see on your face is correlated with something that's happening in your head and the brain is, is, is involved, right? So that, the well, totality of that picture is the value. Like but just the idea, I mean, we value ideas as much as anything else. Sam Harris makes a very profound observation here. Jordan Peterson has proposed to Sam Harris that not all value can be identified in the material world. Value cannot all be measured using scientific instruments. Value cannot all be perceived using the human senses. So, Sam Harris recognizes that, quote, we value ideas as much as anything else. Sam Harris is venturing into dangerous waters. Harris has proposed that our ethics should all be grounded in fact. Peterson goes on to identify the real problem here, which is it is difficult to determine what gives any particular thing value. Religion gives us an anchor from which we can live our lives connected to a series of fundamental ideas that we all agree have value. It's not merely subjective. It's agreed upon by the group. Now, we know this works because it has worked remarkably well for thousands of years. Sam Harris is making the same argument that every atheist makes. He's saying, but I know better. A reasonable man might say, well, I'm not convinced any of this is right, despite the fact that it's worked remarkably well for thousands of years. But the evangelical atheist, like Sam Harris says, I know that none of this is right. I'm smarter than everyone who's ever lived and ever believed in God. It takes a remarkable ego, a remarkable amount of arrogance to believe that your rejection of thousands of years of wisdom is 100% accurate. The problem we, run, we continually run into with religion is that there, you have a domain of so-called sacred values where people who are otherwise rational cease to be rational actors. So this is the, the reason why Israel and uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians can't negotiate as though their problems could be solved by a real estate transaction is because they have 
irrational and irreconcilable claims upon land and buildings. Do you think they're any more irrational than the claim that that glass is worth something? No, it's like that. It's like that. But that's not irrational by your own definition. You just said that that was actually constituted a fact. It's a fact about people, right? There are, this is, okay, just be a little careful here because it gets confusing. There are, we talked about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You said that that was irrational. And so, look, you know, fair enough. People have been locked with their hands around each other's necks there for 3,000 years. But there's a problem there. And the problem is that people are looking at the landscape from a contextualized perspective, right? It's not just a piece of land. It's their piece of land. It's like your house or maybe your favorite shirt. It's like, well, you say, well, I have a favorite shirt. It's like, well, there's nothing inherent in the shirt that makes it your favorite. No, it's a subjective judgment. It's like, well, then is that a fact? Well, yes, it's a fact. It's a fact about subjective judgment. It's okay. Well, the Israeli claim on the land and the Palestinian claim on the land is a subjective judgment that's a fact. Yeah, it's like, so how is it yeah, irrational? Sam Harris severely contradicts himself here. And Jordan Peterson does call him out on it. Sam Harris, in another attempt to rhetorically discredit religion, characterizes the value that the Israelis and the Palestinians place on the land of Israel as, quote-unquote, irrational. But he has just previously acknowledged that there is real value to objects that have been owned by celebrities, to a person's first wristwatch, and to all sorts of things that have no material value, but have value according to ideas. This is actually quite an important contradiction. Because it shows that Sam Harris is not looking at the idea of religion objectively. He finally, I think unintentionally, acknowledges this bias when he uses the analogy, we were about to fight over Elton John's glass, but Elton John was never here. Well, the Israeli claim on the land and the Palestinian claim on the land is a subjective judgment that's a fact. Yeah, it's it, like, so how is it yeah, irrational? It, it, because it is, the, the true analogy here, the complete analogy is rather like, we're about to fight over Elton John's glass, and Elton John was never here. Right. Well. Sam Harris is basically saying that the value the Jews, Muslims, and Christians place on Israel is unreasonable because there is no God. So what this boils down to is just that Sam Harris doesn't believe in religion. He's saying, I don't believe it, so it must be wrong. He's saying, I'm right, so there, ha ha ha. He's saying, I don't care how well religion works. I don't care how accurate Christianity is. I just don't like it. And so it's bad. I would say that this is the moment Sam Harris lost the debate. But he nails the coffin shut in spectacular fashion at the end of all this. So stay tuned. What if you try to rescue your child from a fire? It, it, it becomes harder when you have to rescue someone else's child from a fire. And you're, and you're worried, worried about orphaning your child who's standing next to you on the sidewalk, right? Then we get into the domain of moral philosophy. We, we are biased toward protecting ourselves, protecting our kin, protecting our friends. And only then do we begin to extend the circle. And, and again, moral, but this is not a mystery where we, we, we want to go here. We want to extend the circle more and more and build institutions and societies that, that, that implement our best selves at our best moments. Okay, so they set up this hypothetical situation, right? An ethical dilemma. Sam Harris says, despite the unpleasantness of being burned and the risk of my own life, should I rescue somebody else's child from a fire? And then he states that this is where the moral philosophy comes in. We should develop a better understanding of how to be quote-unquote, our best selves at our best moments, as he puts it. That is Christianity. Brett Weinstein essentially makes the same observation as I just did in his response to Sam Harris. Religions do exactly this restructuring of values because they say something like, actually, your goodness in risking your own life to save that other child from a fire is observed and it is, it is calculated and you will be rewarded for it well, in some way. That's, that's one possible benefit of some religions. Right. Good. Sam Harris then reluctantly concedes. He says, well, that's one possible benefit of religions. Finally, even with this concession, the tone in Sam Harris's voice suggests that he still believes his argument is fully valid. He seems to give no indication that he recognizes that he has been, as the internet trolls like to say, owned. How do you distinguish a religious system from an a priori perceptual structure? This is a key question. How does Sam Harris distinguish between his proposed secular ethical system and religion? Jordan Peterson suggests that what Sam Harris is promoting is indistinguishable from religion. This is absolutely right. Harris is simply taking the concept of religion and using science words to talk about it as opposed to the traditional religious vernacular. He's basically saying that he can devise a religion better than any other religion, but he won't call it religion and he'll use science words. Sam Harris recognizes the value of religion. He just doesn't like the branding. He wants to keep religion, but rebrand it as science. Maybe he should call it Scientology.
So it's superficial. It's just a fact about us that most of people's religious attachment is born of having it drummed into them by their parents. If we did the same thing with Batman and Spider-Man, it would have the same effect, right? Like if, if you relentlessly told children, you're, you're going to burn in hell for eternity if you lose your emotional attachment to Batgirl, even for a minute, right? Well then, it's going to be Batgirl for the rest of their lives. I hate this argument from atheists. It is so disingenuous. In order to believe the assertion Sam Harris is making that comic book fictions could possibly be accepted as religion, one must first accept that religion is fiction. His argument completely fails if religion isn't as fictitious as comic books. And, even more egregiously false, people don't just believe religion because their parents tell them it's true, as Harris insists. People believe religion because religion makes sense to them. The reason that many people hate evangelical atheists like Sam Harris is because his primary argument is founded in the assumption that everybody who believes in religion is credulous. They're gullible. They're stupid. They cannot distinguish between fiction and reality. This is such an arrogant, disrespectful claim. If Sam Harris wants to convince people of his ideas, he needs to stop insisting that everybody but himself is stupid. Jordan Peterson's temperament actually changes upon Sam Harris's little diatribe here, and I'm right there with him. Sam Harris is so irrational, hateful, spiteful, vicious, disrespectful of religious thinking and humanity in general, that it demands an emotional response. Anyone with any respect for humanity should be disgusted by what Sam Harris was saying. I, mean, we, I think we often live in the space where we know there's a right answer that we are too selfish to fulfill or too short-sighted to fulfill. Like, so I know there are things I do every day that not only will other people as yet unborn wish I hadn't done, I might wake up tomorrow wishing I hadn't done those things, right? So like, I'm a, I, I'm a bad friend to my future self in some respect to say nothing of the rest of humanity. So we can, be, so we can have failures of, we can have weakness of will, we can have failures that we can just be wrong about certain things, but it's nowhere written that it's easy to be a good person. Right. In that case, it's not even clear what good means. Well, no, no, I no, think, no, it is clear. I'm saying, even in those cases where we know so, the answer, it might be hard to be motivated by that knowledge. And that because we're not a unity, right? I mean, part of, part of what wisdom is, morally, is an ability to, to, be, to live integrated enough with your own you know, better self. The advice you would give to a friend, and this, this just falls right out of your work as well. It's like, live as though, but basically treat yourself the way you would treat, I think this is your line, so, you know, someone you're, you're responsible for, or there's somebody, a friend of yours, right? If you, can, if you can do that, you're already ahead of who most people are most of the time. But there's no, there's no reason to say that because it's difficult, or because sometimes we're looking through a glass darkly and can't figure out what the answer is, the answer doesn't exist, or there is no right one. Sam Harris is doing a lot of exploration here. It's the first time in the debate, either day one or day two, that I have seen Sam Harris actually searching for truth. The fascinating thing is how he seems to be inching toward a recognition of the value of religion. You have argued for uh, an evolved framework of religious belief in which there are elements that are morally defensible that will be carried through time, there are elements that are morally reprehensible that will be carried through time by virtue of the fact that they are effective, um, and you have argued that these things, because they have withstood the test of time, um, have some kind of value. That would seem to suggest that the degree to which these belief structures has value is contingent on the degree to which the environment in which we attempt to deploy these structures matches the environment in which they evolve. Absolutely. Now, I would argue that no population of humans has lived farther from its ancestral environment mm -hmm. than we do. Yeah, I think that's a fallacy. You think so? Yeah. Because well, it is and it isn't. And, and look, I think that's an absolutely valid point. I, I think the religious landscape is good versus evil, to Sam's point, that we should strive for a good life, on a landscape of chaos versus order. And I think that landscape is permanent. Now, I know we've moved from our African ancestral homeland, but these, this underlying abstraction, this underlying... Un this underlying reality is so profound that it, it, it maintains its validity across all sets of potential environmental transformations. Well, okay. Okay, can I just jump in here because here's why... So, this is going to be a fun one to decode. <laughs> Brett Weinstein proposes the following dilemma. Religious ideas only work in environments for which they were created. But, contemporary civilization is so different than the environment of our ancestors that religious ideas shouldn't work. Jordan Peterson responds, No. <laughs> Jordan Peterson explains that, although certain environmental differences might make some specific laws less useful, the more profound ethics found in religion will be applicable to humans in any environment. 
This is because despite the fact that we face different challenges in different environments, we have access to new technologies, we've learned more, there are different fashions, fundamental human needs and our biology tend to change so remarkably slow that these most profound ethics will be applicable for enormous stretches of time. Basically, the value of profound religious ethics doesn't disappear just because the environment changes. We could create circumstances that seem perverse to us, that we would recoil from. You could, you could create a, a universe of perfectly matched sadists and masochists, say, right? So you have the people who are real sadists, who in our world would be terrible actors, but in their world, they're surrounded by people who want to be mistreated. Now, again, this if you're a real sadist, you never mistreat a masochist when he asks well, you okay. to. Okay, well, these are... Granted, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm not... Okay, so Jordan Peterson makes a little joke here. He makes light of Sam Harris's point. It's basically the same thing that Sam Harris has been doing throughout both days of the debate. However, Jordan Peterson acknowledges that this was inappropriate. He apologizes. He says, sorry, I couldn't help myself. The intention here was not to be disrespectful of Sam Harris, but rather to introduce levity to an otherwise very heavy debate. This is a huge distinction between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Peterson jokes for levity. Harris jokes to belittle. Funnily enough, Jordan Peterson's little joke actually has a lot of philosophical depth. Sam Harris is trying to construct a hypothetical environment that is paradoxical. Pretty much everything he says after this is predicated on this hypothetical, and it's all irrelevant because the hypothetical makes no sense. For a long time after this, Sam Harris meanders around various criticisms of religion and consistently asserts the idea that modern man can choose the best path forward today without religion. It actually becomes incredibly frustrating because Sam Harris seems to have zero interest in digging down to the core foundations of human morality. Jordan Peterson keeps bringing up the moral landscape, this is the book that Sam Harris wrote about human morality. The reason Jordan Peterson keeps bringing up points in Sam Harris's book is that Sam Harris, in the book, does seem to try to create a justification for developing codes of ethics independent of traditional religion. In order to do this, one has to understand why humans should even have ethics. One needs to understand what value really is and why certain things have value and why other things do not. Jordan Peterson keeps trying to dive down deep and wrestle with these questions. But each time he does this, Sam Harris swims for the surface and flings another superficial criticism of religion at Peterson. This is extraordinarily frustrating. I have a friend who does this fairly often. I will present him a rational argument. He won't have an appropriate response, and so he will respond with a completely unrelated argument. I'll then counter this new unrelated argument with a rational, sensible defense. I'll present a point that he finds maybe too difficult to argue against, and so he will then again present a new, completely unrelated argument. I'll defeat that argument, he'll present something else. I'll defeat that argument, he'll present something else, etc., etc., etc. Sam Harris is desperately throwing every unrelated, superficial criticism that he can think of at Jordan Peterson. Each time, Jordan Peterson dives down deep to try to get at the core ideas behind whatever subject they're discussing, and Sam Harris just swims right up to the surface for another superficial, unrelated point. It's like an infuriating yo-yo going up and down whilst traveling through a senseless labyrinth of unrelated ideas. I really, truly wish that Sam Harris would stop trying to score points against Jordan Peterson and simply cooperate with him in a search for truth. If Sam Harris did this, he would stop losing the debate. He might not win the debate, but he wouldn't lose it. In fact, I suspect that every debate could end with both Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris winning. So do you really believe that, uh, that the belief in the supernatural aspect of these stories never alters the calculus of what people should do? That the divine nature of a story about Jesus doesn't motivate people to do something that they might not have the courage to do otherwise, the belief that they might end up in heaven because their good work is going to be observed doesn't alter their behavior? Well, I know it alters their behavior, but, but rather often for the bad. Well, no, I mean, this is, what, this is what worries me about. I, mean, I think there's something, there's a profound net negative that we are pay, paying the price for every day by believing in paradise. Right? A, belief, a belief that this life it probably doesn't matter very much at all because we get what we really want after we die is, forget about the evidentiary basis for that belief, it, it, it is, it's ruinous for prioritizing what we should be prioritizing in this life. And it, I agree with that, by the way. Yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. There are two huge problems with Sam Harris's assertion that the belief in heaven as a motivation for good works is of net detriment to society. First, I've never met anyone who dismisses their life on earth as completely pointless because of heaven. 
I think there's evidence that this is sometimes true with Muslims because of their suicide bombers and these kinds of things. But I've never known a Christian who who lives their life this way. Most Christians that I have met tend to adhere to their faith because of a deep gratitude for the life they believe they were given by God. Heaven would be a secondary motivation. Furthermore, I would say the idea that if one is good, one will go to heaven is not an inspiration for somebody to do bad. The motivation for reward is merely that, a motivation. So the problem that Sam Harris apparently has is that the incentive to do good in religion is too strong. And therefore, if somebody has the wrong idea about good and evil, one can be equally motivated to do evil as one should be motivated to do good by the motivations inherent in religion. So I would ask Sam Harris, if he wants to remove the idea of heaven from the collective consciousness, what does he propose we use as a motivation to encourage people to do good? Also, if the problem with religion is the strong motivation of heaven inspires people to intensely pursue good, and if somebody's perception of good is wrong so that they're intensely pursuing bad, the real question becomes, how do we maintain an appropriate education system for everybody in the world to constrain the parameters of what is good and keep out those things that are bad? Up until this point in the history of humanity, that education system has been religion. I feel like every time Sam Harris argues against religion, he ends up arguing for religion. He just doesn't want to call it religion. So if you're talking about the... the the contemplative experience, you know, like, is it possible to, to, feel, to wake up tomorrow morning feeling like Meister Eckhart, right? Feeling like you're just inseparable from the pure capital B being that is consciousness, right? And, and there's no separate self there, right? A self-transcending union with everything you can perceive, right? I think that can be had without any kind of religious dogmatism. That's just a matter of paying close enough attention to the nature of consciousness. So the contemplative life is, the ba is one baby in the bathwater we can save. The ethical life is another baby we can save. You don't have to presuppose anything on insufficient evidence to argue about what is right and wrong and good and evil in, in the 21st century. Okay, okay. Sam Harris is finally targeting some crucial points that really undergird his position in opposition to the utility of religion. He's talking about babies in the bathwater, the values that exist in religion that people will sometimes throw out because they don't like the idea of God or the supernatural or divinity. This is great. This is the sort of thing that he should have been discussing from the beginning. So let's tackle these assertions. I entirely disagree that you can have a contemplative, self-reflective life without religion. But for now, I'm, I'm going to step over that point to contend with his second point, which I find much more troubling. Sam Harris makes an enormously flawed statement. This is a statement that can only emerge from the most egotistical, blindly arrogant, self-centered type of thinking. Essentially, he says that in 2018, we have the full capacity to identify the correct ethical path in every conceivable scenario without religion. You might think that I'm being a bit harsh when I characterize this statement as egotistical, blindly arrogant, and self-centered. Here's why I think this. For thousands of years, the most brilliant minds of humanity have debated the best ways to live. We have constructed the most ingenious systems ever devised in the history of humanity in order to bring us to the spot that we exist in today. Whether by divine inspiration, as I believe, or the process of natural selection, as Jordan Peterson believes, the most brilliant people in history have accepted over time the tenets of religion as the best ways of moving forward with an ethical society. Despite the fact that not everybody follows every ethical guideline that we have, we've still managed to progress society. We are currently living in an era that is the safest, the freest, the most technologically advanced of any era in history. The ethical framework that we have developed for thousands of years works. For Sam Harris to say that this is all wrong devalues the intellectual integrity of every brilliant philosopher who has ever believed in these values and advocated for them. If Sam Harris were to develop his own set of ethics and a system that clearly worked to motivate society to follow those ethics, and if he could show that those ethics and that system were superior to Christianity, then I could understand his position. I would respect his efforts to advance society. But he's advocating this secular replacement for Christianity without actually developing any set of ethics at all, and without developing motivations for people to follow them. Instead of presenting substantive ideas about why this hypothetical system would be superior, he simply uses disparaging language about religion and says that empiricism is better because we can use metrics. We can measure things, and if we can measure things, those things are clearly better than the things we can't measure. But this really doesn't present a compelling argument for his idea, especially since he concedes that ideas have immense value. Sam Harris's argument may not sufficiently convince people to give up religion, but they do give us insight into his particular biases. 
Sam Harris, by advocating this imaginary set of ethics, shows us that though he can recognize religion has value, he personally doesn't like it. So he'd rather replace religion with another system, a system identical to religion, but that isn't called religion. He wants to get rid of the deity. He wants to get rid of heaven. He wants to get rid of divinity. But he has no other motivational system to replace those things. Sam Harris's position has devolved throughout this debate from an intellectual exploration of the value of religion to a childlike declaration. I don't like it. Why don't we each take three minutes to sum up? So I think, yeah, we are there. We are uh, at the end of time. So why don't you each take three minutes, sum up, and then we'll call it good. Yep, there's lots of things about which Sam and I agree. But the devil's in the details, of course. No, I, I'm very sympathetic to his claim that we need to ground our ethical systems in something solid and demonstrable. My problem is I'm not sure how to do that. When I, I don't believe that you can derive a value structure from your experience of the observable facts. There's too many facts. You need a structure to interpret them, and there isn't very much of you. And so part of the reason, part of the way that that's addressed neurologically is that you have an inbuilt structure. It's deep, it's partly biological, it's partly an emergent consequence of, of your socialization. And you view the world of facts through that structure, and it's a structure of value. Now that structure of value may be derived from the world of facts over the evolutionary time frame, but it's not derived from the world of facts over the time frame that you inhabit, and it can't be. So the problem I have with our discussion so far isn't really any of Sam's fundamental ethical claims, because I do believe there's a distinction between the hellish life and the heavenly life, say, the life that everyone would agree was absolutely not worth living and the life we could imagine as good. And I do believe that we should be moving from one to the other. The question is exactly how is it that we make the decisions that will guide us along that way? And I don't believe we can make them without that a priori structure. In fact, I think the evidence is absolutely overwhelming that we can't, and I mean also the scientific evidence. And I would like to go further into the devil that's in those details. And so that's my <clears throat> situation at the moment. Yes. Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris are given an opportunity to summarize the debate in the end. Jordan Peterson does something very interesting here. He does not go through the finer moments of the debate and reiterate the ideas that have been presented. Jordan Peterson actually laments that he and Sam Harris have not been able to dig down into the roots of the issues. They have not yet addressed the most important questions that must be asked when debating such a topic. It's exactly what I was talking about before. Jordan Peterson keeps trying to dive down deep into the heart of the issue, and Sam Harris keeps trying to debate surface-level criticisms of religion. Jordan Peterson's entire summary of the debate is that he wishes they had been able to discuss more profound ideas. I think this speaks volumes in terms of the value of Jordan Peterson's contribution versus the value of Sam Harris's contribution. In terms of a win-lose situation, it seems like Sam Harris was trying not to lose. He wasn't trying to win, he wasn't trying to seek truth, he was just trying to dodge and parry and, and attack in such a way that his ideas would not be dismantled in front of him. In this way, Jordan Peterson has clearly won the debate. Jordan Peterson was the only party attempting to bring about a greater understanding of the ideas behind the questions of religion. Sam Harris was merely trying to dance around the issue, to throw little jams, to deflect difficult questions. He was actually trying to slow the progress toward truth. In this way, Sam Harris, the atheist, was doing precisely what he claims religion does. He was slowing the progression of human development. As I think you can sense, we don't have precisely the same audiences. All of you are sort of rooting for one or the other of us to some degree. Uh, or and, for the spirit of truth. And, yes. This is a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about here. Sam Harris divides the audience into two camps. He perceives that there are some of his fans in the audience and some of Jordan Peterson's fans in the audience. He verbalizes this by stating, all of you were rooting for one or the other of us to some degree. Jordan Peterson has to interject with, some were rooting for the spirit of truth. Jordan Peterson has to interject here because this section of the audience is inconceivable to Sam Harris. He has not conceptualized the debate as a search for truth. He has only conceptualized the debate as a point scoring contest. He literally goes on to say that neither he nor Jordan Peterson view this as a trivial debate, a point-scoring contest. But clearly he did. Sam Harris was attempting to score points at every turn. At no point did he treat the debate with the dignity that Jordan Peterson was trying to. It sounds great to say this at the end. It creates an air of integrity. But the actual debate does not reflect what Sam Harris is saying here. The rest of Sam Harris's closing monologue is merely a vitriolic diatribe against religion. It has to be clear to us at this moment in history that no one 
has the right to their religious sectarianism, really. Did he just say what I think he said? No one has the right to their religious sectarianism. No one has the right to their religious sectarianism? So what he's saying is, no one has the right to their religion. Sam Harris is advocating enforced atheism. Has he lost his godless mind? If Sam Harris hadn't lost the debate up until this point, he absolutely lost the debate just now. The only reason Sam Harris is permitted to practice his godless, heathenistic atheism is because Christians decided that it was important to permit people the freedom of religion. He wants to create an authoritarian state that removes that freedom. And he thinks that somehow atheism is going to bring us better values than Christianity? Okay. You have literally just demonstrated that your entire position is wrong. I think Sam Harris lost this debate before it even started. He was not prepared for Jordan Peterson's position on the topic. He, he wasn't searching for the truth. He was just trying to score points on a scoreboard. When it became clear that he could not win on the ideas, or maybe even before the debate started, Sam Harris took on a strategy of, I'm intellectually superior, and so my ideas are better. I mean, it's such a shame. Together, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson could have spent this time presenting their ideas clearly to each other and to the public, dissecting them and encouraging examination and analysis. Only when we find debaters who are willing to engage in this kind of battle are we going to be able to discover new profound truths. I think Jordan Peterson is one of the few people who are willing to do this. Sam Harris, sadly, is not. Well, that's it for me. I've got this Patreon page thing. So if you like this kind of video and you'd like to help me dedicate more time to making this stuff, spreading the gospel of reason and rationality, consider giving me a dollar or two. The link for that is in the description. If you like this video, please hit the like button. If you want to see more like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, you are undoubtedly a godless heathen. <laughs> Have a good night. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Should Christ have refused the cross? The destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. There's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty.